theyeshiva.net. So the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Roye Yisrael Hazina, Noye Katsoin Yosef, Yosef Hakruvim Hefia, Psalms chapter 80. The shepherd of Israel, please listen. The one who led Yosef, Joseph as flock, the one who dwells among the cherubs, please appear. And Rashi explains, what does it mean the one who led Yosef like flock? The one who leads, leads Joseph like flock? All the Jewish people have the name of Yosef. Because he sustained us during the days of hunger. And therefore we assume the name of Yosef. So when it says Hashem leads his flock, and the name of his flock is Yosef, Noyeg Katsoin Yosef, he leads Yosef like his flock, like it, it's, it's like it would say he leads the Jewish people like flock, like a shepherd leads flock. Our name is Yosef. Because since Yosef sustained us, the literal interpretation is since he sustained us, our very existence was dependent on him. So therefore our very identity, our very name is so much connected to Yosef because he is the one who guaranteed our being, our very name, our very existence, the fact that we can be, that we can endure. The question is, however, number one, does it really make sense to say because of a very short period, thousands of years ago, when he sustained us during the times of hunger, because of that itself, for eternity, we assume his name, Yosef. It seems a little difficult to comprehend. And number two, furthermore, this verse, these, this chapter in Psalm, is trying to bring out special, unique virtues of the Jewish people. To, so to speak, warrant and invite and, 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 arouse in Hashem the desire to, to listen, to appear. And here we're called Yosef. This means that somehow the name Yosef sometimes, sometimes brings out something special about the Jewish people. But what is it? It's, it brings out something special about Yosef. What does it bring out special about us? We're, we have his name because he supported us, because he gave us livelihood, because he fed us. And in a way, as he said, deeper than Yisrael even. The explanation... We learned in the first classes. Everything in the physical world begins in the spiritual realities. And then it evolves. So when we say that Yosef sustained the Jewish people during the times of famine, it doesn't only refer to the physical famine, but also to the spiritual famine. There's physical famine when there's no food, God forbid. There's also spiritual famine when a person's life is in a state of concealment, when a person's light is eclipsed. There's a hunger, a thirst, a thirst for meaning, for purpose, for truth, for integration, for synthesis, for unity, for happiness, for inner healing, for, there's a search for, for, for your godliness, for your, for your truth, for the truth of reality. Yosef's unique quality is, that he sustained the Jewish people during the times of hunger is not just a physical reality, but rather there's something he gave the Jewish people that allowed them to be fed and nurtured and alive during times of physical hunger, but also it begins with 
the fact that he gave us something to give us existence during times of spiritual hunger. And that's why we are forever called by the name of Yosef, because this wasn't a gift of a few months or a few years, or a year and a half or a little more. This was something he embedded within the Jewish psyche, an approach, a gift, an attitude, a perspective, a way of living that it would allow the Jewish people for eternity to live, survive, and thrive during a time of spiritual hunger. In the Kapitel Tehillim, in the chapter of Psalms that deals with Gullus and all the three different exiles, which is why we say three times in this psalm, Elekim Tzvaiz Hashivenu Ha'er Panecha It's of course appropriate to define us as Yosef. Because the great merit of the Jewish people during the time of exile is Yosef even more than Yaakov and Yisrael. And here, the explanation was that Yosef was unique from all of his brothers in the fact that he is the one who lives most of his life in exile under the domain of a stranger, under the authority, under the control of a stranger, not just a stranger, you know, a neighbor, a stranger, completely a person from a, a person or people from a different culture and ideology and very opposite ideology than the one he grew up in in his father's and grandfather's home. He sold as a slave, so he's now a slave in the house of Petifra, then he's a prisoner. Even later, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, so he's quite an independent person. Nobody's controlling him, but he's still an employee of Parai. Parai says, the throne is greater than you. You work for me, you represent me, you are my man. You are my prime minister, you are my viceroy, you are second in command, and the money that he acquires is going to Parai. The putting away of the food he's doing on behalf of Parai. Everything is on behalf of Parai. In other words, he's in an environment where he's in exile. He's in exile oh, throughout all the stages of his life, and this already begins at the age of 17, so this is most of his 110 years. He is in exile. And this is consistent with the fact that Yosef's life is so different than the life of his brothers. The life of his brothers, they are shepherds. Their vocation is they're shepherds. And it's explained in different places. The reason they were shepherds is so that they should be able to retain their deep connection to spiritual harmony. Because the shepherd is segregated from the anxiety and stress and density of a material life. The shepherd is in communion with nature. There is a serenity there. You're celebrating nature, hanging out by rivers and brooks and canals and streams, pasturing the flock in, uh, in, in the various grasses. There's a certain serenity and tranquility there. It's also not such hard work. It's not just stressful work. Yosef is the exact opposite. Already at a very young age, he dreams already of a very different trajectory for his life. The sheaves are going to be bowing down to his sheaf. Even the sun and the moon and the stars will bow down to him. The reality of his life takes on such a different form. He is in charge on the entire asset of Paitifra, then he's in charge on the prison where he's cast in, and then ultimately he becomes the chief economist. And not only the chief economist, he's now in charge on everything that's happening in Egypt, the superpower of the time. 
In other words, he is in, apparently entangled and enmeshed and deeply entrenched in a very, very stressful life, inundated with work. The Targum Munkula says, so he says, de He had to do all the calculations, accounting also. He didn't only do the work and oversee the work, he had to do the accounting as well. In Egypt, when he becomes the prime minister, he says, The whole nation is going to be run by you. And Yosef couldn't sit in an ivory tower with a joystick and run Egypt. This involves tremendous involvement on every level, mental space and physical energy and resources and connection with people. He is, he is the Egyptian leader. He, he's representing Egypt. And yet the Chiddush of Yosef was the revolution, the revolution that Yosef begins, the gift that Yosef imparts to the Jewish people is that despite the fact that he is in exile, despite the fact that he's under the control of people, who are alien to his ideology and upbringing. The fact that he is apparently so inundated, not apparently, the fact that he's so inundated with so much work, it never takes him away. It never confuses him. He remains serene at his core. He remains a servant of God. Nothing can take him away and distract him and overwhelm him to the point that he loses his dveikus. He loses his intimacy with oneness. That's a unique, unique Chiddush of Yosef. So by the other Shvatim, their Dveikus in Hashem, their connection to Hashem is connected to their isolation. It's dependent on their isolation. It's because they're segregated from everything in the world that they can retain this spiritual oneness and intimacy. If they would be in exile, if they would be under the control of strangers, this would undermine their relationship with Hashem. They have to be independent. They have to be in their own cocoon. They have to be in their own environment. There is interaction, but ultimately they go back to their tribe, to their region, to their vocation, and there they can thrive as the first house, as the first Jewish house, the first Jewish family. Yosef creates a new paradigm in Jewish thought a new paradigm in history, a new paradigm in Jewish life, that he can be in exile, under the control of others. They are dictating his life. And he's not detached. He's completely involved. He's running the show. Nonetheless, he reveals that ein oid malvade. He reveals the oneness of the world, that you could find godliness everywhere in every situation, and under all circumstances, and you could retain your complete dveikus, your complete serenity, your complete inner equilibrium, your inner tranquility, your alignment with the essence of life, with the divine, under all of these circumstances. Yosef is the one who gave the Jewish people the gift that they could go to Gullus. They're not in their own land. They're not under their own authority. They're sometimes involved in so, in so many aspects of life that naturally can be very, very stressful and should cause them to assimilate, to forfeit their identity collectively and individually. It was Yosef's gift who tells us that in the days of hunger, you could still live 
And not only live, you can thrive. You can actually maximize yourself and reach your ultimate spiritual potential. Let's continue. As stated, the Pasuk says, Eilat told us Yaakov Yosef. The Pasuk begins, Vayeshev, these are the offsprings of Yaakov, Yosef. So it means Yosef is the Hemshech told us from Yaakov. Of course, Yaakov had many children. But somehow the told us of Yaakov, the continuity of Yaakov is expressed in Yosef. Our sages say in the Medrash on this Pasuk, Whatever happened to Yaakov happened to Yosef. In other words, there is a unique similarity between Yaakov and Yosef. The same is true in this topic. The oizgetel kait von Yosef legabe echo was dafker is durchgegangen in the matzah von Golos is a hemshech vetoldus von Yaakov und sein uftel legabe Avram veYitzchak. The uniqueness of Yosef relative to his brothers is already intimated and expressed in the uniqueness of Yaakov legabe his father and his grandfather. Ela told us Yaakov Yosef. Yosef is the ultimate realization of Yaakov. So what you're going to find in Yosef's life is going to first exist in a more subtle way in Yaakov's life. And that's why our sages say whatever happened to Yaakov happened to Yosef. It's not exactly the same way as we will see, but Yaakov is the progenitor, especially of Yosef, in the sense that what's going to transpire in Yosef's life will first see in Yaakov's life. And the same is true when we talk about this Reality, this unique contribution that Yosef's make, Yosef makes to the Jewish world. This is already something we see by Yaakov in his unique contribution and life story in contrast to his father Yitzchak and his grandfather Avram. In an Eifen von Hayisi, be Yoyma Chalani Chayrev Goymer, Avadatiche Goymer, Unais Gewen Azoymer, Shubet Zolovenen, Bizaz Loven, Atem Gezogt, Habonez Benoise, Vechoyel Asher Ataroye Lihu, Vosazam Matzel von Golos, Vishibet Gefit Minit Bavrama, De Yitzchak, von Deswegen, Hat Euch, De Schwere Golos Tkufe, Nid Gepoyelt, Kein Sterung, Und Chlishus, Chas, Vesholom, In der Avoyden Eilis von Yaakov, Im Loven Harosha Garti, Vetaryag Mitzvus Shamarti. If we look at the story of the three others, the three patriarchs of Ramitzak and Yaakov, the only one who endured many years of exile and subjugation was Yaakov. Twenty years he had to spend as an employee in the house of Lava, and this was no easy, serene journey. It was not a peaceful cruise on tranquil waters, as he describes to Lava at the end of Parshas Vayetze. 20 years I've been working, he says, I was scorched by the heat during the day and experienced frostbite at night. I made sure to supervise and I was in charge of all your flock to the point that Lovin tells him at the end, everything you have is mine. The daughters are my daughters. Everything you see is mine. You are mine. In fact, I could take everything from you. I can harm you. Your God told me not to touch you, so I'm going to let you go. This was Lovin's attitude. This shows you 
the atmosphere, the environment in which Yaakov worked for 20 years, such a type of exile and subjugation to somebody else, you don't find Avraham and Yitzchak. They all interacted with people. Sometimes there were difficult interactions, but they retained their independence on every level, physically and therefore spiritually as well, and ideologically, and they had to do it. Because Avram Avinu was Avram Ivri. He was on the other side of society. The same is true with Yitzchak. But Yaakov had to really go into the trenches. Nonetheless, even during this difficult era of exile, before he will come home to Yisrael, it does not weaken or destroy the spiritual oneness of Yaakov with Hashem, as he tells Esau, Rashi quotes the beginning of Barashas, I was living with Lavan, but the 630 mitzvahs I observed. Thus is, how does this happen? Thus is der uftu von Yaakov midas ha'emes. In velches is nishayach ken shinuyim. Was the far bleibte mit den selben teikif. In farshidin umstanden belishum shinu afilin em golos balavan v'chuli. The uniqueness of Yaakov, the Zohar says, Yaakov represents the attribute of Emes, Titein Emes Yaakov Chesed Lavram. We say in the morning in a Volatzian from the Prophet, Emes is associated with Yaakov. What's the concept of Emes? What does truth mean? So the Rebbe says, the Lubavitch Rebbe explains what's Midas Emes. Midas Emes doesn't only mean I'm saying the truth, I'm not lying. Of course, that's the basic notion of truth, midvar shekater, stay away from lies, speak the truth and only the truth. Emes represents something that is eternal, something that's timeless, something that does not change in different circumstances, in different climates, in different situations. The Yerushalmi says, Talmud Yerushalmi says something fascinating, that even the word Emes is a synthesis of the first letter of Aleph Beis, the last letter of Aleph Beis, and the middle letter of Aleph Beis. Aleph, in the beginning, Tuf at the end, and Mem in the middle. Because that's what Emes is. Emes, in the beginning, in the middle, at the end, it's all the same. It pervades the entire Aleph Beis, which means it, 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 it pervades reality. When I am connected to something truthfully, what does it mean I'm connected to it truthfully? It's not circumstantial. Sometimes I could be very excited and very inspired and very involved in something when I am in this environment because I'm influenced by the environment, I'm influenced by the people, I'm influenced by the vibe, by the ambiance, by the community, by the social pressure. There's an element of social conformity. But the moment you pluck me out of this environment, the hast, the moment you pluck me out of this environment and you put me somewhere else, there goes my Anna Hashem, my Shiana. There goes my Anna Hashem There goes my connection. And there's a reason for it. Because I need the environment. I need the, the, the matzav. I need the vibe. I need to see that other people are with me. Now that's fine. It's wonderful. We're, we're, this is part of the human condition. Midas HaEmes means that when I'm connected to something truthfully, with an Emes, what does it mean with an Emes? It's in my core. It's in my essence. And then, wherever I am, it's going to be. I'm going to hold on to this. Because these are convictions, these are values that have really penetrated me in my deepest space. That's what Midas Emes is. And it retains the same authenticity, the same strength. This is not a shtick. This is not drama. This is not fanfare. It's not a circus.
This was the Chiddush of Yaakov, Midas Ha'emas. So that's why even when he's by Lavan for 20 years, and everything changed, the Mohus didn't change. The essence didn't change. Yes, the circumstances changed, the environment changed, but the essence, the Mohus of the person, doesn't, didn't go through a change. It comes out in a different way, in a different fashion. Al-Darach Zeb tell the Shalavas. We see this difference also in the children. Avram Yatsav Nifred Menu Yishma. Yitzchak Yatsav Nifred Menu Esav. Mashenkin Yaakov is Mitosi Shlema. Und sie ist nicht scheich, kein Psul an Inyan von Yatsav Menu Bezare. Weil das ist der Tchunna Meile von Midas Ha'emes, dass sie in ihr nicht scheich, kein Inyan shall shinu yunatiyah. Avram Avinu has a child who comes from him and separates from him. And that's, of course, Yishmal. Yatsa, the Gemara says in Psachim, Yatsa Memenu Yishmal. He came out of him, and the Kutat Torah says, and Nifrad, he separates. The same is true with Yitzchak and Esav. Yaakov, Chazal tell us, Mitos Hishlema. His bed, his family is wholesome. Even we learned a few weeks ago, the Sikh of the Kutat Sikh is Chelekyud, Yaakov Mitos Hishlema. We spoke about them for Parshas Vayera. Yaakov, his entire bed, his entire family remains wholesome. He says, It's not even possible that one of his children will be disqualified, will leave him. By Avram and Yitzchak, even though you're talking about the holy Avais, one of their children ultimately departs from them. One of their children detaches from them. There's always some connection, of course. But in a revealed and practical way, they went their own way. By Yaakov Avinu, this can't happen. It can't happen. If you're my child, our connection is going to be eternal and timeless. And none of the children will ultimately leave. Every single one of them will remain connected in the deepest way to Yaakov. In fact, on his deathbed, it says Yaakov saw that the Shechina went away and he was afraid. Perhaps one of his children... Or some of his children are spiritually blemished, and that's when they told him, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Yisrael refers to their father. Shema Yisrael, Keshem Shem Belibcha Elechad, Kachem Belibbeinu Elechad. The Gemara says in Psachim, they told him just like in your heart is one, in our heart is only one. Why is this? Why by Avram and Yitzchak does this not happen? And by Yaakov does it happen? So the Rebbe says, it's based on the Kutatayra from the Balatanya Parshas Vescharan, as he says in footnote 37, because this is the quality, this is the uniqueness, this is the virtue of Midas HaEmes, the attribute of truth. In truth, he says, there's no Shinoi, there's no change, there's no Netiyah, there's no going away from it. If it's Emes, it pervades every reality, and therefore every single one of the offspring of Yaakov Avinu is going to experience that connection with truth. Because if it's truth, it does not exclude anything, and it does not exclude anybody, and it does not exclude any environment. So therefore, when he's in Gullahs by Lavan, he still retains the same connection to God, because it's true, and truth, ultimately, it will not change, and the same is true, it's expressed in his family. There's no such a thing that one of the children ultimately is uh, is lost. The truth pervades everywhere. So, the reality we spoke about of Yosef already begins by Yaakov, but there's still a dramatic distinction, and that's why we say that the energy of a Jew to endure and thrive in exile comes from Yosef. 
Vav, the chilek, because there is a little difference between the exile of Yaakov, so to speak, and the exile of Yosef. And you could probably guess it. And he's going to say three things. Number one, by Yaakov is Nosef of them was olives and shibud tzolovin is bashtan and blazing them was said garbed by far lovin alz poyel aroya as a benit given an evet umbe seif seif is lovin it given can ish zon or atzmi upsari ata is eich zayin the can galus by lovin is a nit given a rangiton in yonah yoelim eich darkness a given by yivrach Yaakov bizdeyaro aroya tzayin versus kinis kelel and avoda by velchem can blaben bizbedus for yonah yoelim. Number one, Yaakov was never Lavan's slave in the classic sense of the word. He was Lavan's employee. Lavan did not own him. That's the big difference. He was a shepherd for him. He worked very, very hard. It was not a tranquil uh, experience there. Lavan was a crook and he deceived Yaakov. But ultimately Yaakov did not belong to Lavan. Number two, Lovon was not a stranger. Lovon was, of course, his uncle, Rivka's brother. Lovon himself said, Atzmi Upsariyatom. You're part of my, you're part of my flesh. You're part of my essence. Now, this doesn't mean he was an easy character. <laughs> not every uncle is the easiest character. But ultimately, it was Mishpacha. It was family. It's different. Furthermore, besides all of this, what was he doing in Lovon's house? He was working hard. He was subjugated to Lovon. Lovon had to control. Lovon deceived him. It was a difficult gullus, but he was still a shepherd. The Pasuk says in Hesheya, Yaakov escaped from Esav to the fields of Aram. He was in the field. He was a shepherd. As we said before, the vocation of a shepherd is one that allows you transcendence, communion with nature, with the divine. As he says in 42, the Medrash says that 20 years in the house of Lovon, Yaakov would go through the 15 Shir sin of Sefer Tehillim. In other words, he could sing, he can pray, he can meditate, he can celebrate the inner heartbeat, the inner music of God's cosmos. Unde tamlaza, val Yaakov is tachlis hakdusha v'ha'er, in ganzen hecher von choshech ha'galos, belosh nachsidus, madregus Yaakov is oilam ha'atzilus v'usiz lo'yegur charah, the reason for this is Yaakov represents the ultimate light, the ultimate Kedusha, completely transcending the darkness of exile in the language of Chsidus. Yaakov comes from the world of Atzilus, the highest level of consciousness and reality, where there's no experience of Ra of detachment, there's no darkness, there's no nothing that eclipses godliness. So even when Yaakov goes into a dark place, he retains a level, a state of transcendence. <laughs> this represents a general difference between the first generation, the Avos, and the three generations of the Avos and their children, the Shvatams. <laughs> For das Gufa beweist, dass die Nyane Ya'elam haben Atfisses Mokim, was der Farm Musman sich von Se Peter sein. Der Avis hat seinen Gewinn mit Rummen beätzen von den Nyane Ya'elam. Und wie bald, dass er Madrege beweist, Hashem ist in Anöfen von Kuloi Euro Gdusche, ankein Schumtfisses Mokim. For dem Chöschich von den Nyane Ya'elam ist es bemele Gewinn, als er sich in sehr Gashmi ist, die Kinnleben. Als er seinen Gewinn reiht sein, Hecher von den Nyane Ya'elam. 
there is an important distinction to be made between the Avis and the Shvatim, even though they were both shepherds. Before we get to Yosef. What's the difference? The Shvatim, they actively try to separate themselves from the world. That's why when they come to Egypt, Yosef says to Parai, and they say to Parai, they say to Parai, we were always shepherds and we want to live in a segregated way. They actively try to segregate themselves because they knew that the world and the involvement in a very material and pagan and immoral society will destroy their inner equilibrium and their avodah Hashem. This means that the world was significant. It had a power over them, and that's why you have to run away. The moment I have to segregate from something is because it has an appeal. If not, I can get sneered, I can get caught up in its trap. So the Avais are not completely aloof. On the contrary, they recognize the threat and the danger, and therefore they choose a vocation and a lifestyle that affords them insulation and isolation so that they could survive and they could thrive. You understand? Because there's a relationship there. When something is very appealing to me, when there's a connection, I have to go away to another environment. In other words, in other words, it affects me. There is a, relatively speaking, there is an effect there. He says, it occupies space. The materialism and the society of the pagan tribes at the time occupied space in their mind to the point that they had to actively choose a different vocation. By the Avais it was different. The Avais were transcendent. They, he says they were merum and be'etzah. It's a very, very subtle distinction. The Shvatim and the Avais at the surface lived a very similar lifestyle, but it came from a different place. The Avais never landed fully within the materialism of the world. The Avais lived in a reality where, that says in Tanya, that their entire being was just a channel for godliness. An environment of complete light and holiness. There was no space for the darkness of the world. It didn't even register. So therefore it reflected itself in their physical life that they were shepherds. So by Yaakov too, even more than by Avram and Yitzchak, even when he's in exile, he never really landed there. Physically he was there, he was working hard. But ultimately he never struggled with the darkness of the world because the others lived in an environment of Einaid Malvade where there's one reality. They never even had the struggle of dealing with the darkness. So therefore he was by Lavan, but he remained aloof, transcendent, above, and therefore physically he was also a shepherd. The Shvatim, they chose to be shepherds because if not, they can be overwhelmed. They could be brought down, they could be schlepped down, so they had to go into isolation. And this is perhaps one of the things that disturbed them about Yosef. They felt that Yosef's choices, Yosef's dreams, Yosef's vision, would ultimately undermine and destroy the entire future of the Jewish story of the monotheistic family. You can't have the cake and eat it too. So the Shvatim have to choose a life of isolation, a life of precious, a life of spiritual segregation, so they can retain their spirituality. By the obvious, it's not that they had to choose it. They were essentially segregated. You understand the difference? Wherever they were, they were just on a higher plane. They operated in a higher plane. 
They were merumam be'etzem. They were essentially exalted. They never fully landed in the physical world. So wherever they were, it expressed itself in the fact that they were transcendent, and that's why they were shepherds. By Yaakov, Midas HaEmes, it came out that even when he was mamish in the environment of love, and it wasn't affected, but even when he was there, he was not ever a slave. He was with his cousin, with his uncle. And of course, he was always a shepherd, which means he was living in a, in a sacred space. Un adder inyan, as eich ven Yaakov, is yoyred in Golos, is er bahavdala hecher von Golos. This quality of Yaakov Avinu, even when he goes down into exile, he remains aloof, he remains transcendent, he remains above Golos, physically he's there, but mentally, emotionally, he's not really there, is expressed that even when he's in a war, he's fighting with that angel of Ace of the middle of the night, there is a war, there is a wrestling match, what happens? Sarisa, you prevail over God and man. Yaakov becomes Sarisa, a sar, a minister, a ruler, a balabayas on his adversary, to the point that Esau's guardian angel must confess and say, your name is not Yaakov, your name is Yisrael. In the ultimate battles of life, you come out on the top because you are essentially connected to heaven. Even when Yaakov comes down to Mitzrayim, he ultimately will make it down to Egypt. But he'll never live and become enmeshed in the reality of Egypt, just like by Lavan. He remains his own human being to a certain extent. Even in Egypt, he's going to move to Goshen, a beautiful part of the land with his family. There's still going to be isolation. Not only that, even his relationship with Pari is one where he blesses Pari. He comes to Pari and he blesses him. Rashi says he blessed him that the Nile Delta should rise when Pari visits the Delta because the Nile Delta rises and then irrigates the soil in Egypt because there's very little, almost no rain in Egypt and they always depended on the Nile rising in the summertime in August and irrigating all of the soil in Egypt. So Yaakov is the one who blesses Pari. Pari recognizes that the livelihood of Egypt, which was dependent on the Nile Delta, because without that they could not live. Egypt was so fertile and such a powerful economic country such a powerful country economically because of the Nile rising and saturating the land. And this was for thousands of years until they built the dam in the 1800s. And this was a big celebration. That's why they worshipped the Nile ultimately. And Pari recognizes that this is dependent on Yaakov's blessing. So even when he comes down to Egypt, there's a certain transcendence, aloofness, a royalty, a spiritual aristocracy that Yaakov maintains. Not only where he lives, but also his relationship to Pari. It's very clear who is the giver and who is the taker. Yaakov is the one blessing Pari. Ultimately, even on that issue, the Nile, which is the source of Egypt's livelihood. And here we come to appreciate the uniqueness of Yosef. 
By Yosef, none of the above is true. By Yosef is given a in Galos. Yosef went down into Galos, not like Yaakov. And he emphasizes the word Yeridi, you see in italic. Because Yaakov never went down. Yaakov remained in a place of transcendence. He says in footnote 46, quoting the Mittler Rebbe, Teres Chaim Parshas Vayechi Benegeya Ha'avas, 46. She'ein ha'tzimtzum master klal at This is in the language of Chabad Chassidus. The Oves didn't experience the tzimtzum, so therefore they didn't have to run away from anything. You only have to run away from things when you experience the tzimtzum. The tzimtzum is, of course, the act of infinity restricting himself to create room for otherness, for detachment. The tzimtzum is what Arizal speaks about in the beginning of creation. God withdrawing or recoiling into himself, allowing for otherness, allowing for a perception of detachment from infinity. If the tzimtzum is not part of your vocabulary, you don't have to run away from everywhere. Just like God doesn't have to run away from anywhere. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Koflamatas, Gam Chayshech, Lo Yachshik Mimeka. Darkness doesn't eclipse your vision. Darkness eclipses your vision when you're in an environment where there's darkness. Laila Kayoem Yayur. Night shines like day. But the others, the Tzimtzum was not a reality. So therefore they didn't have to run. They didn't have to segregate themselves. They remained Lechatchila in a place of infinity. They never fully landed. So even though they were involved, they were practical people, they, they were very successful, they built a Yitzchok Avinu, a mass great wealth, and Avram Avinu was a very successful person, and fought wars, and thus, but as the Bnei Chei says, you're among us, but you're a prince, you're a king, you're royal, even though he commanded no military and no territory. But Nesia Lekim Avram Avinu said, I live with you, but I'm a ger. I'm, 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 I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger. Where? He's from before the Tzimtzum. That gave it to him from before the Tzimtzum. Gave it to him. I live with you. I, I, I pay taxes. I need to negotiate a plot of land. But they come from a different reality and they remain in that different reality. So even Yaakov, when he comes into Lavan's house, he's there, but he never really descends. This is the Chiddush, this is the difference between the Ovis and the Shvatim. The Shvatim have to segregate themselves because there is a connection. The tzimtzum does affect the shvatim to some degree. And because the tzimtzum does affect them, they have to separate themselves. They have to consciously say, we need to be insulated and isolated. And here comes the Chiddush of Yosef. Yosef is not like the others. Yosef is one of the shvatim. But his story is a completely different story. Yosef goes through a Yeridah in Galos. He goes down. You cannot say Yosef comes into Egypt and he retains his transcendence. He's a slave. He's under the absolute authority of Paitifra and then in prison and then of Para, working for them, under them. And as he said earlier, Yaakov was not a slave. Yaakov was an employee. And what type of employee? He was a shepherd. But Yosef experienced the Yeridah. He was in that place. Nonetheless, in this situation, he goes down into Egypt. He's not aloof and sublime and, so to speak, spirit detached. No. 
he goes down. And in other words, he experiences the pain, the stress, the turmoil of Mitzrayim and everything and everything that represents, he experiences it. He experiences the challenge. He touches the texture of Egypt every single day of his life. And within a person's life, what that means is he goes into those places. He goes into a place where there's, there's real darkness. Or as we would say today, there's real trauma. There are wounds, there's scars. He touches them. He doesn't remain aloof. What's the Chiddush of Yosef? The Chiddush of Yosef is he goes down into every one of those places and yet he retains his dveikus. He retains his dveikus. He's always one with Hashem. Under all situations, he always senses, as he tells his brothers, you did not sell me, sell me. God sent me. Who am I? I am a divine light. I am the divine ambassador going into each one of these places to bring in light over there, to serve God in this place. And I don't serve God out of this place. I look at it. No, I go in. And I'm not afraid of going in and touching it, touching the texture of pain, touching the texture of the anxiety, touching the texture of the trauma, touching it, feeling it, experiencing it. That's the Yerida we speak about. There's gullus physically, there's gullus emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. And yet Yosef becomes the paradigm. He becomes the role model. He is the one who teaches the Jewish world this reality. And in that sense, he is the most inspiring figure of all. And it's always important to emphasize, we learn from the Avais because there's a piece of the Avais in us. We learn from all the Shvatim because there's a piece of the Shvatim in us. And we learn from Yosef because there's a piece of Yosef in us. But we're not called Reuven, Shem, and Levi. We're called Yehuda, Yehudim. We're not called Yisachar, Zvulun, Don, Aftali, God, Asher, Binyamin, Ephraim, and Asher. We're not given those names. We're given the name Yisro. B'nai Yisrael. We're not even called Avraham or Yitzchak. We're, we're children of Avraham and Yitzchak. Yisrael becomes our name, and Yosef here in Tilim also becomes our name. Yehuda also becomes our name much later in Galus. Megillus Esther is the first time we're called Yehudim, because basically it was the tribe of Judah, Yehuda and Binyamin, the rest of the tribes assimilated, were, were exiled. And Yehuda means gratitude. I'm going to tell you a beautiful, beautiful word from the Svasemes. <laughs> Mamash, a beautiful vart. <laughs> you read it over there, he says it uh, in three lines. <laughs> Mamash, three lines. <laughs> we all know the story when Yaakov meets Yosef. They've been separated for 22 years. What happens? Yosef falls on Yaakov's neck. He weeps excessively on his father Yaakov. So Rashi says, the famous Rashi, but Yaakov did not fall on Yosef's neck, and he did not kiss him. Yosef falls on Yaakov's neck, he kisses him, he weeps. Yaakov did not. So the sages teach that Yaakov was laning, she was saying Shema. It was early in the morning when they met. It was a time for Krishna. 
So Yaakov was saying Shema. That's very difficult to understand. He couldn't say Shema earlier. Or maybe it wasn't the time of Krishna yet. So he could have said Shema and then met Yosef. Could have said Shema after. It's hard to understand. Like you, you, you're meeting your son after 22 years and he's busy. He's weeping on you. Tata, tata, tata. And Yaakov is saying Shema. So there's the famous explanation of the Maharal. That at that moment Yaakov experienced the deepest outburst of love the deepest emotional connection with Yosef, and he directed it towards the source. Kriya Shema represented the fact that Yaakov took the love and he sublimated it and he immortalized it by aligning it with the oneness of Hashem. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echad V'Aftas Hashem Elekecha B'chol Avavcha B'chol Nafshecha The love to Yosef became even stronger and more powerful because Yaakov took the very emotional experience and he aligned it with the source of everything, with the source of all love, with the source of all happiness, with the source of all pleasure. The question asked the Sfasemis is, what about Yosef? So listen to his words. Venira, this is Sfasemis Vayigash Tafresh Lamed Aleph, 1871. A few lines. What does he say? He says, the Chiddush of Yosef is, listen to this, he could be inside of Paitifar's home as a slave, entrenched in the most material aspects of daily living, and he's still saying, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. For Yosef to say Shema Yisrael, he doesn't have to close his eyes and go into a transcendent space, even when Yosef is involved with material life, for him, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad is a constant. Yosef doesn't have to stop what he's doing to say Shema Yisrael because Yosef reveals that everything he's involved in is an expression of Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. So Yosef is kissing his father, crying on his father's neck, falling on his father, embracing his father. That's a Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. This is what Yosef reveals. The real Einoid Mulvanda, you can come into the world and be involved and touch the texture of Mitzrayim and still retain complete vacuous. He says, Yaakov is beyond Teva. Yaakov remains aloof and therefore it's expressed in aloofness. He's a shepherd, even by love and he's a shepherd. It's expressed. The fact that he, the, the Shvatim are shepherds because they choose to be shepherds. They need to be shepherds. Avram, Mitzak, and Yaakov are shepherds because naturally, organically, they become shepherds because they're aloof, they're beyond Teva. And Yosef goes into Mitzrayim. He goes into the world and yet reveals that oneness that permeates even the texture of Mitzrayim itself. So Yosef doesn't have to stop anything to say Shema Yisrael because Yosef revealed the Shema Yisrael within every aspect of his life. You see, Back here, the last few paragraphs of the Sikh. 
is the koyach was yeder id hot of durch gen inyan hagolos. Was by yeder idin is the inyan hagolos kipshute tachas shlutus omus chuli, nemtsich be iker von yosef dafke. Was dem koyach at yosef arangigeben in idin durch dem was pernisum vechilkelum be meharov. Was at mashpegeben becholla shvatem von sein mailo madrege kanalsev gimel. While derech says it's nimshigavan libneem achenem to call echad vechad me yisnol at soif kaladeiras. So the power, the confidence, the resilience, the strength that every single Jew has to endure the experience of exile physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Because our experience of Gaul is similar to Yosef is that we do fall under the restrictions and the jurisdiction and authority of the nations. We sometimes go into places where we feel controlled and we feel restricted, just like Yosef. Yosef was not not sitting in an ivory tower of emancipation. Yosef was a prisoner. Yosef was a slave. And even later, Yosef is Paroi's man. He is the one who gives the Jewish people that ability to go through Golos and emerge triumphant. This is what it means he sustained the Jews during their hunger. He gave every single Jew a gift. He shared his own gift with every single Jew. He didn't only give them food and grain and bread during the days of hunger. He gave them a gift that wherever you are, in all circumstances, your eternal light will never ever be extinguished. Your flame of faith and inspiration and resilience and fortitude and confidence will never ever falter. The fact that you're anchored in infinity and that your identity always remains true to your deepest light and deepest potential will always remain intact no matter what you touch in your life, what you experience in life, what you go through in your life. This is the gift that Yosef gave them. He fed them during the days of hunger. He, in other words, he gave them a gift that goes into them. It becomes part of the DNA of the Jewish people. Yosef, those years, he gave his brothers and his nephews and his nieces and his great-nephews and great-nieces. And as a result, the Jews throughout all the generations, he gave us this, if I could say, this little genetic mutation, maybe not so little, he gave us this gift that becomes part of us, like Parnassah, like we learned yesterday, like we learned in the first part of the Sikha. It becomes part of your flesh, part of your blood, part of your bloodstream. He gives something that becomes ingrained in the Jewish psyche, and it's a unique gift. And look at it, after thousands of years, we're still here, learning about Yosef, being inspired by Yosef, connecting to Yosef, and most importantly, internalizing in our lives the message of Yosef. Yosef is not afraid to touch anything, and to go anywhere. Because Yaakov's MS is revealed in Yosef in the most powerful way, even when you descend in a post-Simpson reality, you could connect to that infinity that ultimately is everywhere. In that sense, Yosef accomplishes something that even the others don't accomplish. The others didn't land fully. Yosef lands fully. And there's only one way he can do it. The Midas HaEmes of Yaakov Avinu. The Pnimius of Yosef. The Midas HaEmes. Yosef has to be able to learn to say Shema even when he doesn't close his eyes. The Herst. Yosef has to learn how to say Shema 
even when he doesn't close his eyes. In other words, I can close my eyes. Beautiful, amazing. What happens when I open my eyes? <laughs> what happens when I open my eyes? What happens when I go to the office? What happens when I go on vacation? What happens when I'm dealing with stressful situations? What happens when somebody triggers my insecurities? What happens when I face the pressures of life? I open my eyes. Yosef is still saying Shema Yisrael. And that's what I said, Rabbi Koshis in the Mizmere Yisrael Hazin and Noe Katsayin Yosef. Now at last we come back and understand the order of the dav, of the tefillah and tehillim. The shepherd of Yisrael should listen, the one who leads Yosef like flock. when Jews are saying at in Galos, Hashem Aleikim Tzavais, Ha Hashiveinu return us, show us the countenance of your face and help us. So first we say, Roya Yisrael Hazin. We define the beauty and the greatness of the Jews as Yisrael, descendants of Yaakov Yisrael. What does Yisrael mean? We learned before, Sarisa, you became a Sar, you prevailed over Elohim, over God and over men, and you triumphed. And this is the quality that every Jew has from Yaakov. There's a part of us that always remains higher, aloof, sublime, royal. You're always a sar, and therefore we tell Hashem, Roye Yisrael, you're the shepherd of this people called Yisrael. Hazina, listen to us. But then you go even to a deeper place. Noye Katsayin Yosef. The power of Yosef that exists in every Jew. Why are we called Yosef? Because of a different quality. Even the way I am in the darkness of Gullus. And I'm affected by the darkness of Gullus. At first glance, I'm a slave. And I am a slave. It's not a joke. It's not fiction. I'm a slave. Nonetheless, nonetheless, what does Yosef see? How does Yosef see? He doesn't see himself essentially as a slave. He sees it as a shlichus to bring the divine infinite light into this place. In order to bring the light into the darkness, you have to touch the texture of darkness. I have to go into this place. But when I'm going into this, this place, I am ultimately defining it. It's not defining me. So the way I come into it is not one where I become a victim of it. Rather, I transform it. But in order to transform it, I have to go into it in order to transform it. You can't transform something from the outside. You can only transform something from the inside. So I go into that place and I feel everything that's there. But as I am inside, even in the darkness of Golos, it does not affect or confuse his dveikus in Hashem and they remain wholesome in their Yiddishkeit, in, their, in Avas Hashem, Avas Atari, Avas Yisrael, Yerushamayim. This is even deeper than Yisrael. So in the Mizmer of Golos, we go in stages, Roya Yisrael Hazina, 
And then Noye Katsoin Yosef. Yosef, which represents that aspect of the Jew that's not like Yisrael. Yisrael is the aspect of the Jew, the Pnimiyas Anefesh, the core of the soul, that always remains higher. The part of Yosef is the one that goes in and still retains its spiritual integrity. And that's why, as he says in 57... Uh, and that, that, and that, that's the Kiddush of And this changes everything. Yaakov Avinu could nullify the exile because it doesn't exist. Yosef is the only one who can transform the exile. There's a very big difference between the two. Yosef takes the Goyla and he makes it Geula. The word Goyla is exile. Geula is redemption. What's the difference? The Aleph. Yosef is the one who takes the Goyla and he reveals the Aleph in the Goyla, the Shema Yisrael in the Goyla, and it becomes Geula. That's the Chiddush of Yosef. Yaakov Avinu remains above Goyla. Even when he's in Goyla, he's not really in Goyla. Of course he's in a state of Geula. Yosef is in Goyla. And he transforms the Goyla into into Gula. He says, that's why he says in 57, says, that's why by Yisrael, it says, Yisrael ha'azina, the shepherd of Yisrael should listen. By the, by, appear, be revealed. Don't just listen to me. Haifia means reveal, be a, appear, appear. Show us the Aleph in the Goyla. Because Yosef is the one who reveals the Lakus inside of the Goyla. He says something fascinating in 55. Take a this is connected to our generation. The Nasi is referring to his father-in-law. Kvayt Kedushas, the Rebbe, Lubavitch Rebbe's father-in-law, his first name was Yosef. He passed away, Yutshvat, 1950, He was the predecessor of the Rebbe, his father-in-law. So he says, his name was Yosef, and he said, and he sustained, and he gave livelihood, and he uplifted the Jewish people physically and spiritually during the terrible days of famine, of the double and redoubled darkness of the last days of Mashiach. This was his role and mission as the, with the name Yosef. So he says, there's a special, everything we're talking about is especially, it's not just, it's very specially connected to this generation. In 56 he says, Lahoyer, Shagama Inyan, the Bittl Hagol is the Ace of Shadei Yaakov, Hashlemus Bazehi Adei Yosef, tell this Akhmer Shanemer Evadia, Base Yaakov Laeshu, Base Yosef Lahava, Base Ace of Lakash. We see even the nullification of the Gullus of Ace of through Yaakov, it ultimately happens through Yosef. The Pasuk says in Evadia, the house of Yaakov will be fire, but the house of Yosef will be a lahava, will be a huge torch that will reduce the negativity of Esav into straw. So Yosef is the one who teaches us how to transform the Galos. So as a result of Yosef's work, and what Yosef represents in Jewish history, we create an eternal Geula that doesn't have Golos afterwards. What's the connection? What's the Bemela? Because if the Golos is not transformed, it can ultimately resurface. But once the Golos itself is transformed, now the Geula is eternal. The moment you can go into the darkness and transform the darkness, then not only do you eliminate it or suppress it, 
but you transform it for eternity because you took the very forces of toxicity and you transformed them. So that creates eternity in Geula. The ultimate and complete Geula through Mashiach Tzitkenu, speedily in our days, literally, Mamash. Let's uh, take some questions. Okay. Comment number one. Rabbi Ruchim Levovitz, the Mashiach of Mir, explains why Yosef circumcised the Egyptians when somebody comes under your domain, you need to give him all the goodness in the world, physically and spiritually. So Yosef felt responsible to elevate the Egyptians. It's interesting. In fact, there's a sikh of the Rebbe, Lekut HaSikh HaSchelek Yudwi, explains that even halachically, because Yosef, ultimately the Egyptians, were under the authority of Yosef, to the point that he acquired all their property, etc. So therefore, perhaps Yosef felt that the same responsibility Hashem gave to Avram Avinu, that everyone working in his home should be circumcised, so the whole Mitzrayim became like Avadim of Yosef. Okay, somebody in the comments quotes a beautiful Shemish Shmuel in Vayigash, that Yosef had the power always to see that everything is divine, everything is Hashem, as we were talking about, Einoid Movadai. Yeah, this is also connected to Machtadak explains Yosef Hashem li bein acher. Rachel said about Yosef Hashem li bein acher. They had the ability to make from acher a ben. You once gave a shear that Yosef's uniqueness in interpreting Pari's dreams was that you don't detach the years of plenty from the years of famine. Perhaps it's also connected to this that you never detach the years of darkness from the years of light. In other words, even in the darkness, you have the light. Just like Yosef accomplished that even in hunger, you should have the years of plenty. So spiritually, it means that Yosef showed how even when there's hunger, you could still hold on to the light of plenty. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's the idea of spiritual hunger. What Yosef did for the physical hunger, he also did for the spiritual hunger. Why do we need, why did we need the lesson of Yosef when we ultimately were with Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai in the desert for 40 years, when we had a Beis HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael for more than 800 years, we were not in Gullus then. Why is it so important? Excellent question. And that's the uniqueness of Yosef. The uniqueness of Yosef was that when Jewish people will not be at Mount Sinai and will not be inculcated and isolated in the clouds of glory, and will not always be in their own land physically or emotionally, and will be subjected to the tumultuous journeys of exile, it's Yosef who who set the paradigm and infused us with the ability and the vision to be able not only to survive those situations, but thrive. That's exactly the point. Yosef is the one who gives that gift to Jews in their history. Leaving aside all the shortcomings and misdeeds committed by the brothers, you say that Mitasei Shlema, his bed was wholesome. So why were Shimon and Levi left out of the blessings? Well, it says later, Yaakov included them in the blessings because he blessed everybody collectively. The fact that Shimon and Levi, the fact that he excluded Shimon from the blessings doesn't mean he excluded Shimon from the Jewish people. He never did. Even after Reuven did what he did with Bila, the Torah says that Yaakov's children remained 12. Everybody was, everybody's Jewish identity was fully maintained. Until today, we speak about Klal Yisrael comprised of 12 Shvatim, not of 11 Shvatim, not of 10 Shvatim. Somehow there was something about Yosef, Yaakov that made sure 
that every child always knew that he completely belonged. And that's what Midas HaEmes is. It's really a very powerful insight, what truth means, what Midas HaEmes means. Midas HaEmes is completely adaptable. We sometimes look at Emes as very extreme. In other words, I'm truthful and I don't compromise. And that is part of Emes. On a deeper level, what it means is that I can also adapt to situations that other people don't. Other people won't adapt because they're comfortable in their comfort zone. MS doesn't have a comfort zone. MS doesn't get stuck in any particular paradigm. MS is very adaptable in the sense that it can be everywhere and retain its MS. Because even as it adapts itself, it never loses its core. Aleph, Mem, Tough. In every situation, I may have to adapt to this situation. I may have to ask, what is my mission in this place? It may be very different than what my mission was elsewhere. But ultimately, it, I maintain that same connection. And that's what Yaakov could reveal in each of his children. Each one of you may have his own personality and his own colors and his own contribution and his own story and his own inner journeys. Like Yosef himself was an outcast. His brothers expelled him from the family. But Va'aviv Shamaris Hadavar. Yaakov understood that every soul has its journey, and when you have that connection with Emes, with deep Emes, so you know infinity is everywhere, God is everywhere, so then nobody is excluded. You say that Yosef is the first one to be enmeshed in a non-Jewish society, establishing the possibility for all the generations to do likewise. Yosef sustained us in Golos. He did not redeem us from Golos. Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately redeems us from Galus. Moshe was also a shepherd. Yeah, Moshe redeems us from Galus. But the Chiddush of Yosef is that even when the Jew is in Galus, he transforms the Galus into Geula, which is what allows us to be redeemed from Galus, ultimately by transforming it, as explained at the end of the Sikha. Many of us are still isolated from the non-Jewish world, but some of us are enmeshed in it. In certain segments of the religious world, the ideal that many people sacrifice greatly is that you should remain cloistered in a life of koilo for a lifetime. So which approach is correct? The approach of the brothers or the approach of Yosef? That's why I said earlier, Elu ve'elu, there is, in Yiddishkeit, there's always these two streams. There are people whose shlich is from Hashem, whose mission from Hashem is to remain shepherds, to remain cloistered. By the way, it's just they were shepherds, they worked, but they were in an environment of closeness to Hashem. But there are people who have the schus and the merit that they could learn all day. They could learn Torah all day. There are those who work, but their working environment is more like shepherds. And then there are those who have the mission of Yosef. But regardless... Throughout Egg Gullah's Jews had to be able to learn this skill and quality of Yosef. You quoted earlier the Maharal. What the Maharal says, I think, is different. The Maharal says that when Yaakov saw Yosef, what he experienced was his love to Hashem, how Hashem's midos are good and perfect, and he rewards everybody. This is how Hasidim, the midah attribute of the pious ones, that whenever something happens that's positive and good, it causes them to connect deeper to Hashem, to be thankful for all the good and truth that he did. And that's what Krishna is. Krishna is, you recognize the Malchus Shamayim and the love of Hashem. So when he saw Yosef, and he had so much pain, and now he sees him as a king, what does it do to Yaakov? It triggers within him a deep ahava, a deep love to Hashem. And he accepts Hashem's malchus and his love and his awe. 
In other words, the great goodness that he experienced at this moment, it's expressed in gratitude to Hashem. It's not what you said, that Yosef, that he channeled the love of Yosef to Hashem, to the source of all love. What, what he's saying is that when he sees Yosef, what does it do? It right away it, it triggers within him gratitude to Hashem. It brings him closer to Hashem. So therefore he says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. And that's why he says Shema, not Yosef according to the Maharal, because he is the one who is so grateful, because it's his son and he is the one, he is the one who had so much pain. You're right. You're 100% right. Thank you for the clarification. I was just going one step further. And that is, ultimately, according to Teresa Baal Shem Tev, the two are not a contradiction. Meaning, when Yosef expresses his love to Hashem, his gratitude to Hashem at that moment, I'm sorry, Yaakov, it doesn't mean that he is negating his love to Yosef. On the contrary, He's elevating his love to Yosef to the source of all love, which makes the love to Yosef even deeper. Well, to put it in different words, once gave a shear about this, Yaakov could have kissed Yosef. Mwah, mwah, mwah. I love you, I love you, I love you. He certainly could have done that. How long would that kiss last? A few seconds, a few minutes, a few hours. Yaakov wanted the kiss should last for eternity. So what did he do? He said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. That kiss to Yosef lasts for eternity. Every day when I say, and you say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, you can experience the kiss of Yaakov. Because Yaakov took this love of Yosef and he aligned it with the source of all love, with the source of all gratitude, Hashem. And that's Chayla Advakayam Lanetzach. So I was explaining the Maharal, I think, one step deeper based on the teachings and the Hashkafa of the world of Chsidis, where ultimately the two, there is oneness in Eid Mulvada. Then the Svasamis goes deeper and he says, So why doesn't Yosef do it? So I'll peep shot, according to the Maharal, because he didn't have that gratefulness, because he, he wasn't mourning for his son. Even though you could still ask, because he was he was mourning, he was probably very nostalgic for his father. Which brings us to the question: Why he never sent a letter? Why he never sent a notice home? The separate separate suginat for today. So that's what the Svasema says, because uh, because the chiddush of Yosef is that he doesn't have to close his eyes to say Shema. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow at seven thirty a.m. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.